We'll read again from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3, verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. I have two questions for you to answer, just in your own mind, initially at least. How many of you know your date of birth? And I think you all said to yourself, yes, you thought of your date of birth, but I want you now to prove it out loud. You've got to help me to say out loud simultaneously on the count of three, I want you all to say your date of birth. One, two, three. All right. I'm convinced you've all been born once. Now, a second question. How many of you remember being born? I know you were born. You were there when you were born. But you don't remember being born. All you know about being born is what someone told you. Now, I don't want this to be about anyone's birthday. I really don't. I want it to be about the second birth. But it's true that my mother tells me that I was born the last day of the year. I grew up hearing the story about my birth, how she said the uh, nurses tried to hold me back so that I would be be born the first day of the year because the first day of the year as you've heard me say before, you get in Roseburg at least, when people subscribe to newspapers, the, uh, there's a photo of the mother holding the baby every year on January 1. So she, she, she told me that <clears throat> they tried to hold me back. I'm not sure about that do-no-harm thing, but it didn't work. So before 10 o'clock at night, on the last day of the year, she tells me that I was born. So it is with you. Somebody told you when you were born, but you don't have any memory of being born. But let me tell you about the second birth. When I was born the second time, nobody else was there. But I have a very strong and vivid memory of that second birth when I was 21 years old. This account begins with, there was a man. I like that. There was a man, and if you go through the Gospel of John, you'll see it, uh, that phrase or something similar to it repeated continually. Chapter 4, there came a certain woman to Jacob's well. Chapter 5, there was a certain man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, chapter 5, before the feeding of the, uh, or chapter 6 rather, before the feeding of the 5,000, uh, there's a lad. The gospel is very personal. Chapter 8, there was a certain woman taken. And chapter 9, there was a man born. Chapters, well, throughout, we see Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. We see at the tomb Peter and John. Uh, We see the two on the road to Emmaus. And we see uh, uh, Thomas, who at first doubted, but then believed. So we 
it, it starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very personal fashion. This day in a book that could be written one day of Jesus Terry's, it, it could have your name. There was a certain person. And that's how it began here with Nicodemus. He had some things going for him, as he did. He, he was a student uh, of, of what we know as the, New, uh, the Old Testament. He was devout. He was a person of faith. He didn't just embrace uh, what he knew of uh, God, but he taught what he knew of God so he could recite uh, the Ten Commandments he had studied uh, what we know as the Old Testament prophets. He understood that uh, there was a promise of, of a Messiah uh, who would come and deliver his people, even if he misunderstood what it all meant. So uh, he academically, he was brilliant. <clears throat> he had a head knowledge, but he lacked a heart experience. So we might contrast him with the woman at the well or the other woman taken in adultery and call him what might be known as a moral sinner. We were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We come from different backgrounds. Some grow up in, in moral homes. Some grow up in Christian homes and still remain a sinner for quite a while. But um, some of us grew up in homes that, well, I guess it was fairly moral, but lacked Bible uh, understanding. We weren't, we weren't a saved people. But Nicodemus had some advantages. On the other hand, sometimes that can be a disadvantage when we become insulated to uh, the truth of the gospel. But he was, he was told he must be born again, Nicodemus was. Another way that could be interpreted it would be born from above or born anew. We read earlier in John that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We can't do this in our own power, but the Lord promises to empower us to live in a manner where we are called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God, born anew, born from above. This birth, the second birth, is profoundly uh, different than our first birth. Peter describes it as begotten again. We, we come what the, become what the Bible calls and what I just read, sons or children of God, according to not just John's writings, but uh, throughout the Bible, God is our Father. So we, we're we born again. We're born a second time. There's a certain urgency to experiencing that second birth, for he, you heard read in, in verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Some of us can relate to that. We, we could not, before we were saved, we could not understand it. We could not uh, comprehend it. I, I didn't understand why people 
uh, went to church uh, with some frequency, a lot of frequency from what uh, I observed. I didn't go myself. But Paul wrote about that. If the gospel be hid, he said it's hid to them that are lost. We cannot see the beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ until we experience that second birth. And then he says in verse 5, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's where the urgency comes, not just living a life that is more pleasing to God and actually ends up being more pleasing to ourselves. We cannot, after this life, enter into heaven if we have not experienced that second birth. It's important. I've seen uh, reported multiple studies that say if we have not become Christians before age 20, the likelihood of us ever becoming a Christian is very remote. Statistically, uh, 6%. 94% of Christians became Christians before they left their teenage years. We need to be converted. Matthew uh, spoke of that, except you become as, as, uh, ch- as, as children and become converted. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. He did not say except you become as adults. That's why so many youngsters are saved and stay saved the rest of their lives. There's a certain innocence, a certain openness. Whereas when we are uh, older, we like to say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Not to call anybody a dog, but uh, that's, uh, there's certain uh, stubbornness that uh, a mindset that is not as open and not as willing to uh, humble ourselves so we, we must be saved young if we ever want to be saved. We need to have that personal encounter with Jesus. And uh, I must add, I was an exception to that. So was my mother and my father, and so were two of my brothers. So it happens. But statistically, it's rare. Our first birth was problematic in that we were born in Adam's fallen image. So to answer the question of Nicodemus, what if we could enter our mother's womb and be born a second time? Well, as ludicrous as that sounds, if if it wasn't so ludicrous, uh, we can conclude the second birth would be the same as the first birth. That's why we need to be born again, not born of in an earthly manner, but born from above, born in a heavenly manner. That which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Uh, He was told in Genesis uh, chapter 1, we see that like produces like. And uh, that's really what he's talking about. We read, when Adam's son Seth was born, he was born in Adam's own likeness. Adam was created in the likeness and in the image of God. But Seth was born in Adam's likeness and in his fallen image. He was born a product 
of Adam's sin, the fall of the human race, a carnal nature. The water must be born of the water and of a spirit. The water represents Nicodemus would have understand the old order, whereas the spirit represents the new order. The old order could not produce a new life. But what Jesus offers in a second birth does produce a new life. As death and defeat came from Adam, life and victory come from Jesus. The first birth, we, we struggle through life if we live long enough without experiencing that second birth. But once we've experienced a second birth, we find a whole new world is opened up to us and we can see the value of the kingdom of God. Biological life comes from our parents. The second birth brings life from above or life anew. We've heard it said you'll either be born uh, once and die twice or you will be born twice and die once. Paraphrasing what Spurgeon said, uh, morticians can wash and dress a corpse, but it takes Jesus to bring one to life. And Jesus did that in a literal sense, but we're talking in a figurative uh, sense where we are born, if you will, dead in trespasses and sins. But he that hath the Son hath life. That's uh, what the Bible also refers to, Paul writing to uh, Titus, as regeneration. We're transformed. It's instantaneous. And uh, what emerges from the new life in Christ is spontaneous as well. When you were born the first time, if you had trouble uh, breathing, someone swatted you on the backside and you might uh, choked a little bit, but you obviously all uh, drew a breath. When we're born the second time, we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. I like what Adam Clark said. He said, every man must have two births, one from earth, the other from heaven, one of this body, and one of the soul. Without the first, one cannot see or enjoy this world. Without the second, we cannot see or enjoy the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. If you've not experienced that second birth, you're missing something. You're missing the beauties of the gospel. This is more than about making heaven. This is about enjoying life. This is about uh, avoiding uh, waking up every morning and, and with dread and struggling uh, through a life where you're trying to live somewhat uprightly or somewhat a, a moral life, and you may have a measure of success. But you must fight, at least in a measure, to do it. Paul experienced that. He was just frustrated. Uh, as described in Romans 7, because he wanted to do right, but he could not do right no matter how hard he tried to do right. Eventually something popped out that he knew was displeasing to God. Oh, wretched man that I am, he cried out. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And continued to say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walked not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's the second birth. He experienced that on the road to Damascus, fighting against God while he was trying to please God. 
He couldn't do it. He was powerless. He had no power to become a son of God until Jesus spoke to him. There was a man, we might say, on the road to Damascus. His name was Saul of Tarsus. God spoke to him. That's how it always begins. I said in that uh, OSU uh, religion class, and the title of it was Ten Ways of Being Religious. And I was curious, uh, due to what was happening back home, uh, as to what the, uh, Christianity was all about. And wouldn't you know it, they went through nine other religions, and finally the tenth one, they, they covered Christianity, which is the one I was curious about. I just simply didn't, I didn't know. And I still remember uh, one, I don't remember any of the nine except one aspect of one of the nine, and that's where someone threw a, a mat out on the floor, maybe like they do, I guess they do with, with yoga, and he, he sat up front in front of the class, and there in silence, closed his eyes and crossed his arms and did whatever he did. Uh, but I dare say he came in a sinner and he left a sinner. But in the front of that class was a young lady in dialogue with the professor because he asked the question, who does it take to initiate an encounter with God? And his thesis was that it took God to initiate an encounter with one. And she objected. She said, no, I I can initiate an encounter with God. And I know what what she meant. She was no doubt a Christian. what, What she meant, I surmised, or surprise now, uh, was that she can pray and drop to her knees and pray a prayer and, and touch heaven with that prayer. But what, what, he, what he meant was, well, uh, you can pray, but it, it takes the God of heaven to uh, reach down and, and penetrate your heart. You cannot make that happen. You can't. So in that, in that sense, he was, he was right. But I didn't know it then. I, I just left that class. I was, I was afraid. I thought, what is this about? What are you talking about? An encounter with God. I don't care who initiates it. I didn't know it could happen. And I began to worry. I did. I, I began, when I go to sleep, or try to go to sleep at night, uh, of all things, one who uh, didn't know about God, I would, I, would, uh, I would think subconsciously, not tonight. Not tonight. I lived in fear that God was going to initiate that encounter with me. And what would I, what, what's this about? I didn't understand. If you've not experienced a visitation of God, step back, brother or sister. It's coming. And sure enough, it came. There's evidence of what happens when you're born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, it's like the wind. You cannot see how it happens, but you see what happens after it happens. Well, it was at night. And uh, the presence of God enveloped me, if you will, and before the night was over, I I prayed a prayer that I don't recall ever having been taught to pray, and that was, uh, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and if if you'll help me, I'll try to serve you. I have no idea where that prayer came from. But when I said that prayer, 
after this went on uh, in the night, uh, three times actually, uh, the third time the power of God I went through my being after I said that prayer and something happened that I did not know what it meant. But the, the, the wind, actually the word uh, both in Greek and Hebrew uh, translated wind uh, is also translated spirit. So when, when Jesus told Nicodemus, it's like, like the wind, he's, he's also speaking of the spirit. The spirit moved. The spirit moves. He so does. You don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. You see the evidence that the wind is blowing. So it is with the, with the Spirit of God. You cannot, uh, well, weathermen have a certain amount of success to tell us when it's going to happen, but uh, they really can't explain it in a manner that's satisfactory to me and even don't even get it right when they say it's coming. Similarly, we cannot predict the moving of the Spirit of God, but we can declare the Spirit of God moves. And we see the, the evidence of it. I saw the evidence uh, of it right away. Uh, I was back, this happened in Ro- Roseburg on spring break, and I, I went back, and we were used to, to going out, causing, well, what we, what, having what we called fun, though it wasn't fun. I remember uh, sitting, sitting around, we would laugh, we would laugh, and uh, they said, but there was something missing. In fact, on the Saturday night before this happened, I was at a, a friend's house, and uh, several of us gathered. We played uh, cards and listened to m- music and um, usually drank beer and whatever, and I wasn't participating that night. The fellow asked me if I was sick. Well, I wasn't physically ill, but I was sick of sin. Just didn't know it. And I'd been invited to attend an apostolic faith church uh, that morning, Christmas Eve. It was a different church, but now it's apostolic uh, faith that I was invited to attend. And I heard that, that service and heard the gospel in a manner I'd never uh, heard before. Of course, I'd never much heard it in any manner before. Uh, but uh, sure enough, Saturday night, I was a sinner sitting at a party. Uh, by the time Sunday night was over, I was a Bible Christian. How did that happen? Well, the wind blew, and the effect came. Went back to OSU, and where I was rooming with a, a fellow, and uh, I got up early in the morning. I'd looked in the phone book to, to know, they used to have phone books, to know where to go to church, and in the yellow pages, they used to have yellow pages, to find out uh, under Christian, I was pretty sure it was Christian church, and uh, there, uh, not to discredit, in Corvallis, uh, I think the first Christian church was what I what jumped out at me. So I went to that, and he said, "The changing God to to meet our changing needs in these changing times, or something nonsense that felt like nonsense even to a brand new convert." And I didn't go back there. But he'd asked me when I was dressed up. I didn't have a, a tie. Didn't know how to tie a tie even at that time. Uh, if I would have had one, but um, he I came out of my room obviously looking different than normal and where are you going as I'm going to church and I went out the door and shut shut up behind me I didn't want to do any explaining because I really didn't know what had happened yet I had liquor bottles on the windowsill of that apartment I later 
when our kids were little, I, I drove them down to Corvallis to show them that apartment window. That's where the, those Jack Daniels liquor bottles, there was like a quart and a pint and a half pint, very decorative. Well, something had happened. The wind had blown. I, I, I got up and told my friend, I'm not going to, they'd asked me to go out. I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then, then uh, the buddies went out. But I took those liquor bottles, or I didn't take them. I says, you can have those liquor bottles. I'm not interested in them. Well, the next day I got to thinking, well, I don't want those there anymore. I, I don't want him to have those. So I took his liquor bottles and took them down to the dumpster below the apartment and threw them away. I don't think I have to make restitution for that. But I took my, uh, our, our kids, they were quite young, so they may not remember it. And the apartment had been repainted and looked uh, nicer than it was when I lived there. But that same old dumpster was there. I said, that's the dumpster. Amen. The wind had blown. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Just as a creation took uh, what some view as chaos and made it orderly. The Lord can take a life that is mixed up and chaotic and bring order out of it. That's what salvation does. That's what being born again is. I don't know if you started this year having experienced that second birth. If you, if you did, it's been a good year. Oh, there's been whatever years bring, of course. There's no promise that your year will go smoothly. Uh, what's certainly promised is God will be with you. But if you didn't start the year born again, what better way to end the year than to be born again? Let it be said... Of, of this service, there was a certain man or there was a certain woman. Let, let it be that this is your day of visitation. And may God help you to respond accordingly. If there's ever a time to respond, that time is now. Not just today, now. That's the purpose of these services, to help people get right with God. You will never regret it. Do, you, do I look like I regret it? Do I look like it's been some hard, laborious way? It's been a good way. And I've had a few experiences, uh, contrary experiences over the years, but let it be known it's been a good way. It's been a victorious way. It's been an orderly way, even in times of upheaval. There's victory in Jesus. It's yours for the asking. We'll sing this song of invitation. We encourage you to pray.